for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Started with the Beatitudes. We've gone almost all the way through chapter 5. We're going to finish up chapter 5 today. We're talking about how Jesus is applying this idea of being distinct to different human relationships. And now we get to some of the touchiest human relationships you have, the relationships you have with your enemies. So let's dive right into the scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be a children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Every time I preach about loving our enemies, it almost never fails. Somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, Does that mean I have to love that person? I mean, I have to love them. And they'll give me their, tell me about their enemy, the person that's done them wrong, the person that's hurt them or abused them, and say, do I really have to love him? In this world we're living in today, we don't really have a shortage of enemies, do we? Our, our country and our world is so divided on so many issues and so many fronts. And it's like the world is just encouraging us to see ourselves as the righteous crusaders and see everyone who disagrees with us as evil, horrible worms. So how can we possibly live into this teaching of loving our enemies today? It's interesting to me that Jesus does not say, don't have enemies. In fact, he presumes that we're going to have enemies. The Jewish people had enemies in their day. The whole Roman Empire had conquered them, and they were living under the rule of Rome. But Jesus explicitly said to love them anyway. That's what he's talking about when he says, when someone makes you go one mile with them, go a second mile as well. In those days, you remember, have you seen 
I'm sure you've seen police TV shows and movies where uh, someone's chasing a, a bad guy on foot and the bad guy gets in the car and the, the policeman runs up to a car, shows his badge and says, NYPD, we need your car. And then that person gets out of the car and they commandeer the car and chase it and inevitably wreck it. And that person just doesn't have a car anymore. Well, in the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers could commandeer human beings. If you're walking around and a Roman soldier is carrying a big load, they can say, hey, you, come with me. But the law was specific. They could only commandeer you for one mile. And so you go the mile, and then you give them back their stuff, and then they find someone else to commandeer to carry their stuff. But Jesus says, if you get commandeered by the Roman soldiers, go a second mile. Go more than you're required to, to show love to this person who is oppressing you. That's crazy. So the question is, do we really have to love our enemies? Well, I think, you know, we don't have to do anything. We, we can make our own decisions. If you don't want to love your enemies, you know, no one's going to make you. But there are some bookends to this passage that I think are pretty interesting. You see, we talked about this a few, few weeks ago, kind of the, the start to this section where, where he starts telling us about these human relationships. He tells you, he starts off by saying, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end of this section, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So these bookends are showing us that everything in the middle of this is a high standard, right? This, he is describing a standard of heavenly father perfection. He's describing a standard of behavior that's higher than the, the scribes and the Pharisees can attain. And if anybody was going to attain it, it was going to be the scribes and Pharisees. So really, everything that he's saying in this, in this passage is, is something that is impossible in our own human power. I cannot love my enemies just by trying harder in my own human ability. I just can't. I can't do it. I need a power stronger than me to give me the ability to love my enemies. And so this is what Jesus is pointing out. There's hyperbole, hyperbole all over here. You know, he's talking about chopping off limbs at one point. I don't think Jesus really wants you to chop off your limbs. I don't think Jesus literally expected people to go two miles in every circumstance. He's making a point. You need to go above and beyond to love your enemies. And so rather than just telling you, all right, Jesus says here to love your enemies, so just, you know, get over it and love your enemies. I want to give you some reasons. I think there are four really compelling reasons for us to love our enemies. And along with these reasons, I want to tell you some stories and some examples of people throughout history that I believe have done this well. Because I don't want us just to begrudgingly love people that are against us because we know we're supposed to. I want us to be inspired to love our enemies well this morning. So here are the four reasons that I think we have that we should be loving our enemies. 
And the first reason is simply that Jesus loves our enemies. We love our enemies because they are loved by Jesus. N.T. Wright and his commentary on this passage says, The shocking thing about this passage in the Sermon on the Mount is that we are told to watch what our Heavenly Father is doing and then do the same ourselves. Here is the puzzle. Israel, the chosen people, are challenged to realize that God doesn't have favorites. What sense can we make of that? If they are chosen, doesn't that mean that they're God's favorites? But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was turning this upside down. Yeah, you might be the chosen people, but you're not God's favorites. God created each human being in this world for a reason, and he created them because he loves them. We tend to think of ourselves as God's favorites, but we're not. God, and this is the tough truth of the matter, God loves your enemy. The person that you hate, God loves that person every bit as much as he loves you. And it's scandalous to think of that. It's a scandal of grace that God would love each person equally. We talked a few weeks ago about how God has made us a distinct people, a city on the hill, a salt and light, and that grace is the thing that sets God's people apart. And this is exactly why. Because God has a ab- deep and abiding love for each person that he created. And it's scandalous because some of them, uh, from a human perspective, are just rotten to the core. But God loves those people too. And if we're going to follow the example of God, then we have to extend love to the people that we don't think deserve it. So that's the first reason. It's pretty simple. We love our enemies because God loves our enemies. The second reason to love our enemies is that it could lead to something. It could lead to a change. It could lead to changed hearts. We hold out hope for change in the world because we hope that maybe our enemies could come around. This is what the nonviolent civil rights protests in the 60s were all about. We, we kind of sanitize Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but he was doing something extremely radical in his day. He was putting his body and the bodies of his followers on the line to make the world confront the brutality of racism. And it got him killed. Loving our enemies, of course, is never easy. But it's how we hold out hope for change. There's a guy named uh, Daryl Davis. I don't know if you've heard of him. Daryl Davis is a black man, a musician, who has over 200 Ku Klux Klan robes in his closet. He keeps them as trophies, y'all. He had this central question that just kept bugging him when he thought about racism. His question was, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? And it bothered him so much that he actually arranged for an interview with like the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. 
and he went and he interviewed him and that opened up a relationship where he sat down with him and he actually ended up attending clan rallies and and just sat with people and loved them even though they hated him their whole identity was centered around hatred of him and through these relationships these men who who are founded on hate give up their positions give up the clan and give up racism and when they do that when they decide to quit the clan they give their robes to Daryl and he keeps them as a reminder of what love for an enemy can do he was on this he was interviewed one time and here's what he said he said this conversation that he had began to chip away at their ideology because when two enemies are talking they're not fighting it's when the talking ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. If you spend five minutes with your worst enemy, it doesn't have to be about race. It could be about anything. You will find that you both have something in common. And as you build upon those commonalities, you're forming a relationship. And as you build about that relationship, you're forming a friendship. And that's what would happen. He says, I didn't convert anybody. They saw the light and they converted themselves. What a powerful testimony that people can change, that your enemies can become your friends, that you, you have the ability through respect to, to make a change in the world. There are 200 people that don't participate in this awful group anymore because one guy decided that he could love his enemies enough to have a conversation. And that wasn't safe. It wasn't a safe thing for him to do, but he did. So we love our enemies because God loves our enemies. We love our enemies because we are hoping for a change. The third reason that we love our enemies is because it might lead to a change in you, right? It might be, it might be a situation where you need to change, and the, a relationship with someone different from you might get you there. You know, the, the grand wizard who met with Daryl didn't think he needed to change. He thought he was right. He thought he had the right way of seeing the world up until he learned that he wasn't. And then, through the love of his enemy, he began to change. Have you ever been telling a story about something that happened to you in your day, only to realize through the reaction of the person you're talking to that, Maybe I'm not the hero of the story like I think I am. Maybe I'm the one who is the bad guy. That happened to me um, some time ago. See, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. And right across the river in Augusta, in South Augusta, there's this community of people called the Romani. The, they're called Irish travelers is actually what they prefer to be called. But, um, and I've since learned that this is uh, like an offensive word for them, so I'm sorry for using it, but I'm going to use it because it's part of my confession to you, okay? We call them gypsies. And so, um, and we were all, it's, it's the biggest community east of the Mississippi of these people. And so we had regular encounters with these folks. And my friends and I, we would just make fun of them. We would trash talk them. We would be you know, we'd see them come in and we would just roll our eyes if we were in a restaurant or a movie theater or a store because we were like, oh, what are these guys up to? 
So I was telling this story about, about this community of people and how weird and, and uncomfortable they made me to a group of fellow pastors. And I was like, yeah, oh man, I grew up in Augusta and I just hate these gypsies. And they're all, and their, their eyes went wide like, I can't believe you're saying this. And then I realized, like, at the, for the first time in my life, I was, you know, what, 37 years old when this happened. So for the first time in my life, I realized, oh, I'm racist against Romanis. I'm the problem here. They're not the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the one who needs to change. All those times growing up when I would see them come in and roll my eyes or make some kind of comment, I was the bad guy, not them. They were minding their own business. They were living their own lives. They, were, they just had a different culture than me, and I was the one with the prejudice. I'm the one who needs to change. Can you imagine, had I, all those times growing up, loved those people that I thought were so strange, I would have saved myself the embarrassment of being, coming into adulthood and realizing the prejudice I'd had for my whole life. If you're loving your enemy well, when you find out that you're wrong, then you won't have egg on your face. Because at least, even when they were your enemy, you have been loving and treating them kindly. And then it gives you space to change. Not only can love of enemies transform our enemies, it can transform us for the better. Oscar Romero, a famous hero of the Christian faith in Central America, was a bishop who was a martyr killed by violence. He said, we have never preached violence except the violence of love, which left Christ nailed to a cross. The violence that we must each do to ourselves to overcome our selfishness and such cruel inequalities among us. The violence we preach is not the violence of the sword, the violence of hatred. It is the violence of love, of brotherhood, the violence that wills to beat weapons into sickles for work. Sometimes we, when we're in confrontation with our enemies, we realize that the ones that, we, that need to change ourselves, we need to do the violence of beating our weapons into sickles and, and being willing to be the ones that change. So, we love our enemies because Jesus loves our enemies. We love our enemies because we hold out hope that they might change. We love our enemies because we hold out hope that we might change. And the fourth reason, kind of the original reason, we love our enemies because Jesus commanded us to. Jesus wants us to have a life like his. He asks us to love the people that he loves. But he doesn't just give us that command and leave us hanging, right? He doesn't just say, well, just figure it out yourself. Just love your enemies, and if you have to just suffer for it, then you suffer for it. He actually gives us the command, and then he gives us the ability. In her famous book, The Hiding Place, Corrie ten Boom writes an amazing story. She was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And um, for hiding Jewish people. And she suffered greatly. Her sister died in that camp, but her faith and her hope in God got her through. 
And she was eventually released and rescued and went on to have this career of writing and speaking and talking about the love of God. But one time, years after she'd gone, gotten released, she was speaking at an engagement about the hiding place, and someone approached her, and, and it was a German man. And it was, she recognized him as one of the guards from the camp. And he came up to her, and he apologized to her, and he asked for her forgiveness, and he extended his hand toward her. And as much as she believed, you know, she had stronger faith than anybody I can imagine. And as much as she believed in the love of God for each person, in that moment, she struggled to forgive. But here's what she says when she's writing in her book about it. She said, I tried to smile. I I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And I'll editorialize here to say, I don't blame her. I probably would not have gotten that far. She says, so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while also into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. She says it took a lot of love. Along with the command to love our enemies, Jesus gives us the love itself. How amazing is that? That he doesn't just tell us to figure it out ourselves, but he gives us the power. He gives us the ability to accomplish this thing that he asks us to do. So how should I love our enemies? How should, I, how should I go about doing this? It's one thing to say, love your enemies. It's another thing to go out in the world and do it. But give, Jesus gives us some guidance here. The thing we have to realize is that nothing is more important to Jesus than that precious person who is your enemy. And so he calls us to hold the, the value of that person greater than our stuff. Right? He tells us to turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek and slap them again. In the ancient world, a slap on the cheek was an insult. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, is realize that that other person across from you is more important to Jesus than your pride. And so try as hard as you can not to take offense when someone who is your enemy offends you. Just don't take offense because that person is more important than your pride. Now, I think it's still okay to oppose the evil things that some people do. Remember, there there might be victims of that person's evil. And one way to love those people is to stop it from happening in the first place. So I'm not turning the other cheek is not to say just let evil people do whatever evil people are going to do. If there's a, especially if there's someone that's suffering at the hands of this person, stop it. But don't hold your pride in such a position that 
you value your pride more than you value the people involved. He tells us to go the extra mile. I think that says our time and our service should not be more important to us than the other people. Be willing to serve the people that are our enemies. Be willing to to put our money where our mouth is when we say we love people by giving of our time and our service for them. This is what uh, Daryl Davis did, right? He gave his time. You know, he could have been using his time in any way, but he used his time to sit down and to serve people that hated him by giving them respect, giving of his self and of his time for them. So be willing to serve. And then he says, if someone sues you for your shirt, give them your cloak instead. That, in the ancient world, if your shirt and your cloak are gone, you're basically naked. <laughs> so he's saying, be generous with your enemies. Don't hold your stuff more important than you hold the precious people that Jesus loves. Now, we'll say, I think there's a difference between giving freely and being taken from. I don't think it means that you need to allow evil people to steal from you, but consider being generous with your stuff for for the sake of other people, because Jesus loves them. And then the last thing we can do after after we've checked our pride, after we've been willing to serve, and after we've been generous with our enemies, I think the last thing we can do, and it might be the most important thing, is to pray. Pray for our enemies like Jesus commanded us. And not in the passive-aggressive way of Jesus, make sure they get what's coming to them. I prayed that prayer more than once. But pray. Pray that God will illumine them. Pray for peace. Pray that God will, will bless them. It says in James that the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So pray for our enemies. Pray that, that they might change. Pray that you might change. N.T. Wright, I want him to have the last word on this subject because I think he, he also he just said it so well in another part of his commentary on this passage. He said, The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person and go ahead and do it. Think of what you'd really like someone to do for you and do it for them. Think of the people to whom you are tempted to be nasty and lavish generosity on them instead. That's the backwards, upside-down way of Jesus. And yeah, it's hard. I mean, Jesus points out how hard it is in several ways. In fact, it's probably impossible on our own. But through him, all things are possible. So my question for you today is who is your enemy? Is there a person, an individual that you're thinking of that's your enemy? Is it a whole group of people? Maybe your enemy is the liberals. Maybe your enemy is the Republicans. Maybe your enemy is the Russians. Maybe your enemy is, you know, fill in the blank. How are you going to love those folks today? If it's an individual, consider serving that individual. 
showing them the love of God. If it's a group of people, look out for in, in opportunities to give of yourself to that group and see what God can do to change the world through that. Because I'll tell you what, our world is not going to be changed in this con- continually divided environment that we've got. I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen. Something's got to give, and it is the love of our enemies, I think, that's going to get us there. Let's pray. God, this is a challenging, challenging teaching from you. God, to love our enemies is the hardest thing I think you ask us to do. But you ask us to do it anyway. God, I thank you for all the examples that you've given us throughout history of people who have followed your command in this way and lavished love on the people that hated them. Father, I pray that you will inspire us to do the same. God, turn us upside down in this way. In your name I pray, amen.